On this episode of Love Girls, the podcast, co-hosts Mariah Martinez and Kayla Babers talk with the New York Times bestselling author Nick Stone and local teens about their take on her book, Dear Martin. Let's get into it. Are you ready? <laughs> you got this, girl. Love Girls, the podcast is all about storytelling and empowerment. Our mission is to share a space for women and girls to talk about the stuff that matters to them most. Love speaks to the support we give each other as we search for our own path to success. L, we can lead the way. O, overcome barriers. V, value each other. E, and empower each other. That's love. Because every girl has a story. And our stories matter. Hello, I'm Kayla Babers, host of Love Girls, the podcast. And I'm Mariah Martinez, co-host. Welcome back to Love Girls, the podcast. We have two special guests with us today. Hi, my name is Amaya Woods. I go to Rock Island High School. I'm 17 years old, and I like the color green. Hi, my name is Jasmine Talaferro. I'm 17. I go to Davenport Central, and I also love the color green, but like, like an olive shade. Author Nick Stone recently made a visit to the Quad Cities. Nick Stone is a critically acclaimed author of young adult fiction whose work celebrates and uplifts diverse voices. Her debut novel, Dear Martin, was a number one New York Times bestseller loosely based on a series of true events involving the shooting deaths of unarmed African-American teenagers. Its powerful sequel, Dear Justice, was chosen as an NPR Best Book of the Year. Stone is also the author of Odd One Out, Jackpot, Clean Getaway, and the Shuri novel series with Marvel Comics. She's an Atlanta native and graduate of Spelman College. Today we'll be discussing her book, Dear Martin. Dear Martin, published in 2017, is a novel about 17-year-old Justice, who after being racially profiled by a police officer, grapples with questions of police brutality and systematic racism. Nick Stone recently made a visit to the QC, stopping at Rock Island High School in Davenport West. Um, tell us about the visit and your impression of the author. When Nick Stone came to our school, I wasn't really expecting a funny, energetic author. I was expecting more of a down-to-earth, kind of boring, to be honest, author. She was very energetic and knows how to entertain the audience. I also think that she related and she was able to relate herself to the newer generation, Gen Z. They seemed really impressed with what she had to say and the audience seemed as if they were able to connect to what she was saying even though they just had met her. For me, I wasn't really sure what to expect when I first went. I kind of went on a whim because we were going on a field trip to Northern. I was like, okay, I'll just go meet this author. And they handed me Dear Martin before we got on the bus so I just started getting into it. And, like, I wasn't expecting much. I kind of thought the same thing. Like, it was just going to be this boring book meeting. But I got up, and I met her as she was signing my book. And I was like, okay, this is cool lady. She's got green lipstick and sneakers <laughs> on and um, the skirt with the T-shirt. I'm like, she seems like a cool lady. And the whole time I was listening to her talk, she just seemed like somebody that I needed to hear at the time. And she was very uplifting but also down to earth and like cool she knew how to talk to people and I think listening to her story and hearing about her books really inspired me cool it's not too often that we actually get to meet 
the authors behind some of our favorite books. That's kind of like a once in a lifetime opportunity. I know I was very young and my mom took me to the Martin Luther King Center in Rock Island and I got to meet Nikki Giovanni. Um, I, what was the, I can't remember the title of the book, but something in regards to nappy hair. And my hair was nappy that day. And I just felt empowered seeing a little black girl on the cover and then me being there as well. Um, so yeah, very neat. Mariah, you were there. Um, what was your kind of experience with Nick Stone? Because you got to really dive in and interview her. Yes, yeah, so the Davenport Public Library invited me to host um, the Davenport West and Rock Island event. So I hung out with Nick all day. It was exactly what the, the ladies here um, said. She is so relatable. Um, she's funny. She's She just really cares deeply about her readers and um, listens to their input and is not afraid to resend out a book um, even years later, a new copy, a new edition, if she feels like something isn't right. And she sticks hold to her character um, on who she is. It's funny because some really good questions came from the crowd. And she talks about like some of her biggest regrets, some of her funny characters. And the best moment is when she said that somebody who kind of screwed her over in high school, she wrote into one of her books. So she said, if you ever screw me over in life, you're going to be in one of my books. So that was something that made me laugh all day. While Nick Stone was in town, Mariah actually got the opportunity to talk one-on-one -on -one with herself, the author. Let's hear what she had to say. So my motivation was my own children. I am a mother to, I have two biological black sons. I have two black godchildren, black male, I have two black godsons. One is 17, one is 13, and I have almost four nephews. Um, my sister-in-law is currently pregnant with her second little boy. So as a woman who is surrounded by black boys, back when Trayvon Martin and Jordan Davis were killed in 2012, I, like all I could think about was, you know, what black boys were dealing with and why. Um, so that was kind of the impetus for Dear Martin. So the book refers to something called a black man's curse, meaning that escaping racial profiling is impossible for black men or essentially black people. Ladies, do you believe this issue has improved since the Black Lives Matter movement? Um, do you feel we live in a world where black men are cursed? I know I'm a millennial, so I'm a little older than you all. And I have, I actually had this conversation with a male friend of mine and he said that even though we are both black, I will never be able to experience what it's like to be a black man. And I kind of step back because I feel like we have this conversation with allies, but I've never had it as I'm talking to somebody essentially who is my own teammate. Saying black men are cursed kind of reinforces this power that has kind of a hold on our people in general. And growing up with two brothers, like constantly being around it, I definitely see it and I definitely don't think that it's not way harder for them, but I don't want them to ever feel like that curse per se is keeping them in a box or keeping them down. So I don't like to say that they have a curse, but I do think that life, I'll never be able to experience it through their shoes and never see it the same way. And I do worry for my brothers that way, but I want them to pursue anything they want to and go after what they want to. I do think that 
the black men's curse has improved since the Black Lives Matter movement. And I say this because I do, like I see on a daily basis, that it is impossible for black men to do things without being racially profiled. I see it with my dad, I see it with my brother, I see it with my uncles. You can be innocent and walking the streets and still be racially profiled or pulled aside for doing nothing. So in the book, Justice talks about how he kind of grapples with the idea that no matter how successful we are, how educated we are, um, we're always going to fit in that racial profile. Um, as an educated or somewhat educated black woman with a bachelor's degree, I'd like to think that there is some truth, but the hopefulness in me wants to think that um, as long as you do your best, um, and you put your best foot forward, that those kind of constraints won't hold us back. But I know that's not always the case. We see judges, we see police officers, we see very affluent black people, not that our income or our status should um, kind of be a deciding factor of how we're treated by folks, but we definitely see black people of all facets of life being treated inequitably. Um, so I guess that was a roundabout saying, way of saying um, this would be more for Mariah since you're in school right now. Um, do you think that you being educated or even reference to your mother who is very educated, has she seen that it helps or hinders or neither? Regardless of social status, you're always going to kind of hit those injustices. I will say it does seemingly get better, but I what I have noticed um, unfortunately, is kind of a crabs in a barrel effect once you kind of hit a certain status in our community, um, which just proves that we just have more to build on each other. Um, I I also will say as I'm reach I am in school reaching hopefully to reach the status my mom is at. You also have this like feeling, and this might just be like me or my mother or just some people in general of giving back um, once you've hit a certain level. And I really hope that's anybody of once you hit a certain level, you would give back to your community and try to mend those gaps. Um, I can understand because I related to justice even though he was a black man because I went to a very privileged school and I, I have lived a privileged life. I can relate because even though I was given all these opportunities, I have had moments where you know, oh, well, we didn't really think you would make it this far. The little like side comments that you get, the microaggressions, mm -hmm. they do come. Sometimes they're not as obvious, but sometimes they very much are. I remember being at Rock Island High School and I was deciding if I wanted to go to a four year or go to a two year and then transfer. And I had a guidance counselor at Black Hawk College tell me that I should take as few courses as possible to ensure my success. Now, mind you, that might be like, oh, I'm giving you insight because you've never been to college. But I had a grade point average of almost a 4.0. I was in, in all advanced classes. I was very active in my community in school and I still felt these microaggressions. And then I move now, I'm 29, I own my own home, I have a career. And recently I was looking to purchase a second property and a microaggression was slipped in that, oh, do you think you really can afford that? And so I just, I, I don't know. I just wonder when is enough to be enough, if that makes sense at all. I think that as we're like going over this, I remembered one part of the book where he was like, he was in the beginning and 
Justice had said that this police officer doesn't know that I'm like the captain of the debate team and I go to this um, prep school and I'm going to full scholarship and I'm doing so well in school, but you don't see that. You just see a black person. I think that we try really, really hard to build ourselves up as characters and, and well-standing people in society. And regardless of if it comes down to our skin or not, I think that's something that we will always push for. And myself, I've had many experiences where they'd be like, well, maybe you should think a little smaller. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> I, I am planning on going to college and going on a state a little far away. And I don't think that I had the support from, like, my school at least at first until I constantly had to prove myself and show that I could do it. So I'm excited to get to that point where I can kind of laugh in their faces and say, yeah, I did it. (laughs) In the book, Justice writes letters to Dr. King, who he refers to as Martin. If you could write a letter to a historic person, male or female, who would it be, what would you tell them And what would you ask them? I would definitely write a letter to Ruby Bridges. She went to a primarily white school and was the only black child at the school. She was also young while going to the school. And although there's a movie based on her and stories, I want to hear from her perspective. And you know what the crazy part about this is sorry robert i'm about to put you out there but ruby bridges is like the same age as my dad so you could actually definitely write her that letter and maybe i would encourage that something you do um that would be an awesome love girls magazine article by the way but great i think we forget how close we are to those darkest parts of kind of our history and so i'm glad that you picked Ruby Bridges and just reminded me that, wow, she still is alive to this day and fairly young at that. Jasmine, what about you? I think I would want to write to Madam C.J. Walker, you know, the first um, female self-made millionaire. Um, I want to know, like, you know, what was your secret type thing? But I also want to know, like, what were some of the backlash she faced on a day-to-day basis and what were the things that she went through that she had to overcome as a person? to get to where she had to be. I think learning from somebody who made it and is like so, so, so important in our history would be a really great thing to do. Sure. Mariah, is there anybody that comes to mind for you? Yeah, so I have to say Marsha P. um, Johnson. I recently have been um, pushing myself as someone who is in the LGBT community to be more of an ally in my own community mm-hmm. and especially with seeing all the um transgender rights trying to be stripped away um and even just like queer rights in general i really was pushing myself to learn more about you know in the black community how did we even start in the lgbt community and i would write a letter to her and just thank her for being that i don't want to say punching bag because that's not what she was right but unfortunately, as you know, especially when you, you come out and sometimes in a world that's not used to you, you can be. But 
Um, she was a light, she was an inspiration, but she also took one for the team, so we appreciate that. And I would write a letter to her thanking her, but also um, gaining that knowledge so that we can have that knowledge and that strength today as we're fighting for those rights. Bravery or courage. I don't even know if those words sum it up. And, and to think about the intersectionality of Marsha P. Johnson. She was a black woman and, yes. and she was queer. She was part of the LGBTQ community. She, it's like, she just had layers and layers and layers. Right. And it's like, which one do I fight for? And I felt like she had an equal kind of hand in every right. part of her. And I love her for us. Yes. So. <laughs> How important is representation for you in the book? I kind of identified with justice just kind of growing up and going to a predominantly white school, me and my sister were kind of the only little people of color in the whole school for a while. Oh, and Nico Watson, shout out to Nico, because we was in the struggle together. Um, but how important is representation? Because I, I so related to Justice because he kind of felt a push and pull of being a black man, but also trying to fit in in this predominantly white school with his white friends and not knowing what side he really fell on. That's very interesting because in the book, you know, Justice's own best friend is a black guy as well in his friend group, but he's a black guy who sometimes folded with what was going on. There was a scene in the book that they went to a Halloween party and they were dressed up as stereotypes. Spoiler alert. Yes. And <laughs> I definitely recommend reading the book, by the way. There's a second book, um, so you can read that one as well. And Dear Martin and Dear Justice, you know, there there's moments where we've all thought like, oh, this might be a smart idea. Like we're breaking down stereotypes. We're showing like exactly what Martin Luther King was talking about, like hand in hand, um, you know, walking towards this dream. <laughs> but the execution was very poor. As a people, and this goes back to the stereotypes, that we're not a monolith. Um, even from black person to black person, we have our own lived experiences, we have our own personalities, our own likes and dislikes, and it just, it reminds me how detrimental stereotypes Right, the are. single story. Yes, yeah. because it's not one size fits all. Um, it, and it's crazy that we get reduced to that so often. Have either one of you ever experienced kind of being placed in a box of what a young black girl or even a young black girl from Rock Island is in the Quad Cities? Actually, um, I wrote a paper on being a palatable black woman in this community. Go off. And, I love it. Like, writing it halfway is like I'm trying to figure out how to put this message across um, without it sounding kind of ugly to my teacher who is white and I, I'm trying to figure out how to balance um, my personality and my personality with somebody else and I feel like that kind of is a big thing that I did relate to in the book is like Martin well I mean Justice would be writing these things to Martin asking him these questions that I struggle with finding the answer to myself and I think that that kind of representation matters yeah, I mean, a sense of community is, is essential. Um, that's exactly what Love Girls magazine essentially became for me at a young age, was a sense of belonging and understanding. Um, when Kayla was talking about, like, not putting in that box, I was joking in my head because I feel like Kayla and I are the definition of just, like, who we want to be as black women. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
especially as I grew up older. I mean, I just, I sometimes watch Kayla's Snapchat story and I'm like, yes, this is what I want to be like, happily doing my own thing, supporting small businesses, like upping my craft. Like that's who I feel like I am as a person. And I just, um, representation is huge in books because it continues to break down that like you can truly be whoever you want to be and just be proud of that. A word. And choose them facts. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> and so it's it's exciting to see. Um, and Nick Stone does that so wonderfully in her books. I mean, I've read I think six of her books so far. Um, so she is one of those authors that I really resonated with quickly, especially as a person who's dyslexic. Sometimes I struggle with books. Um, she's one of those, especially with like Tiffany D. Jackson, um, her books, especially when you see yourself in that book, you really can just like encase and engulf yourself because you relate to them. While I'm growing up in school, sometimes I'd look at these books like, oh, yeah. Right. Like The oh. one black character that died in the beginning. And they call him the N-word through the <laughs> whole book. <laughs> and I think that's important because even Nick um, in the conversation was talking about like why she started writing these and she talked about how like the three only books that had black people in them when she was growing up reading died were enslaved or like yeah that was it and so she wanted to change that narrative and she truly did what you just said about all the books reading growing up were engulfed by oppression do you find it hard to find books that have black people or black beings just being um and i and i love nick stone i read the hate you give and i think she is an excellent writer but i also am always looking for a story of black women or black people where we aren't struggling where we aren't suffering where we're being loved and celebrated and I just don't know if you guys had any recommendations or have you ever thought about why all our stories are surrounded by oppression? Does it bother you? Does it not? Am I overthinker? What's your thoughts? I would say that it does bother me. I read on a daily basis. I usually shop at Target or Barnes and Nobles. And a lot of the books consist of races other than black women or black men. A lot of the books on my bookshelf also don't have a lot of black people in it, so it's very hard for me to find a good book with diversity and diverse characters in it. Well, for me, that question kind of hits hard because I just finished like reading slash watching The Color Purple, and <laughs> oh, that was a like once I watched the movie, I was like, okay, this is this is kind of crazy. Like I just watched a two, three-hour movie of this woman getting abused the whole time. <laughs> I was you like, what? um, what's going on in here? And it was like, I understand how important it was to see how it was in that time and reflect on how it was for her. But at the same time, it was painful, like, watching a black woman get, like, thrown around by a black man and white people in the town and seeing how poorly black women were treated in that town especially. And I think that getting to see a black woman thrive in a book is something that I have not um, came across in a minute. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm still looking for some good books to read on that. I also feel like I have a lot of books that don't consist of black love. No, yeah, that's a great point to make, um, especially as I, I was just recently buying more books um, for the classroom and 
one, it shocked me how many books just got recently banned again. Or yes, like the haters. <laughs> Stay hating. I was like, oh, great. Can't, can't get this from my classroom. I like to read audiobooks. I mean, listen to audiobooks. I like to read the Kindle, you know. Any way to get that information sometimes can really be crazy how like fast we can get it but just to really push this generation to seek out um, go to your public libraries they have an array of literature that from I mean all the way from preschool all the way to college level you can find anything in there that you'll find somebody who you can relate to and um, I think it's essentially important because when I talked to Nick Stone I was like how do you feel about being one of the most banned authors in America and she laughed about it but when it got down to it I mean it's sad because somebody is simply uncomfortable by learning somebody else's life that you ban it I think it's really important to have that representation I mean one of my favorite quotes is you can't be who you can't see and it really proves in the literature that we're reading now representation it's so important in cultivating the next generation. Um, with Love Girls Magazine, we go to Madison Elementary School in Davenport. And I remember going in there and all these little black girls are there. And we had Michaela Hughshaw, shout out to my homie. Um, she came in and she said, I am on TV. Um, I talk about the news. I talk about things going on in the world. And this little black girl with these big poof ball, Afro poof balls looked at her and said, a black girl is on TV and it it's just like the sky is the limit and I think um, for our ally friends if you're not at this vantage point if it's not your perspective you seeing beautiful melanated women and men on TV with locks and twists and kinky hair it's confining and it's restricting and I think that you know in books in school activities everywhere representation is one of the most important things to cultivate leaders for our next generation, essentially. But you know, that's just my two cents and how I feel about the subject, so. What motivated you to be a writer? And do you have any advice for young aspiring writers who might be listening to this podcast today? Um, well, not seeing books with people like me in them is initially what motivated me to be a writer. I wanted my children to have a different experience than I did growing up and I wanted them to have access to books that have people that they recognize and feel they can emulate um, within the pages. So books that have black characters as heroes, basically. Uh, A lot of young writers are like, well, I don't want to read because I don't want it to influence my work. Okay, well, if you don't read, you're going to be a trash writer. (laughs) It's like a person who plays professional sports but doesn't watch them. So you gotta read. The second thing is to actually write. I know a lot of aspiring writers who were too afraid to put, the, to put their fingertips to the keyboard or their pen to the page, whichever format you choose to write, because they're afraid of imperfection and afraid that you know, they won't get it right or they won't do it perfectly the first time. And that's just not a good reason not to write. <laughs> so actually writing is the second piece of advice. And then the third piece is to eavesdrop as frequently as possible and people watch all stories are about people like even the ones about trucks and animals and anthropomorphized rocks and such things as that those are stories about 
humanity. They're used as allegory when it comes to what it means to be human and how we should interact with each other. So watching and listening to people will give you a lot of insight into what is good to go into a story. And last question, we like to always end the podcast giving our listeners an opportunity to follow along. How can people find you on social media? I am at Nick Stone on Instagram. And that's really the only place to find me because all of the other ones are a little scary. Thank you both so much for joining us today. It has truly been a pleasure to learn from you both. I hope you really enjoyed the author tour, Davenport Library and Rock Island Library. Shout out to you guys for bringing diversity and literature to our community. Thank you for listening to Love Girls, the podcast. Stay connected with Love Girls at lovegirlsmagazine.com because every girl has a story and your story matters.